0: Welcome to the Laity Podcast, a space for meaningful conversations about Christian spirituality, discovery, and practice. Thanks for joining in.
1: God simply can't single-handedly prevent evil most people when they use the word sovereign he has in mind something like god can single-handedly do whatever god wants to do god could all alone or use the language Mm -hmm. of philosophy act as a sufficient cause and get something done Um, i'm rejecting that i'm saying no it's not even possible for god to do that Hello
2: friends, welcome to another episode of the Laity Podcast. Great to have you on board and uh, we're really excited to welcome Thomas J. Ord back to the podcast.
1: Tom, how are you? Doing well. It's good to be back with you guys.
2: Yeah, thanks for so glad to have you relatively last minute and um, I think this conversation is, as I said a minute ago, is certainly on... The mind of many, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll dive into uh, COVID 19 and and what God does or doesn't have to do with that, and a number of things. But we're, we're grateful to have you back. For those of you who actually don't know Tom, would actually recommend you check out uh, the episode. I don't even know the number offhand, but we did a a podcast with with Tom a number of months back to discuss at that point his most recent book called God Can't. Um, he's written a number of books. Tom is a theologian, scholar author thinker speaker. Um, he wrote another book called the uncontrolling love of God that I personally absolutely love. And, uh, we've had the privilege again of discussing a couple of these subjects, um, with Tom in the past. So I would encourage you to check that out. But of course, now we want to talk about, uh, you know, Corona and, uh, you know, the sort of current, current state and things, but maybe just to dive right in off the bat, I, um, you know, curious, I asked you offline, what kind of feedback are you getting um, at this moment in terms of, I'm just curious if folks are reaching out with just questions or particular um, you know, thoughts around what does God have to do with this and um, what, what's your sort of temperature on current state in the church and what, and what you're hearing?
1: I have a lot of interests, people trying to make heads or tails out of what God might be doing or not doing in relation to the virus and how they ought to think about God I published a, an essay, oh, I don't know, I guess it's been four or five days ago on the subject, and I'm happy to say it's, you know, really been widely read, thousands and thousands of people. In fact, today I got a, a, a nice note from some guy in Germany I'd never met who translated it for his congregation. So I think a lot of people wow. are asking the questions of evil, and they know about my book, God Can't, and so they're wondering, okay, how does that fit with what we're currently facing?
2: T- Tom, for those who don't, again, who don't know you, do you mind sort of framing a little bit uh, yourself, most recent work, sort of recent engagements, speaking, It would love to you, for you to even maybe use that that uh, essay as a little bit of a jumping off point here, but g- give folks a, a sense of sort of where you sit with most of this.
1: Sure. Uh, I uh, am an ordained elder, so a pastor uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. I was in pastoral ministry for about 10 years, and then about 20 years uh, teaching at the uh, university, undergraduate and graduate students, and I still teach from time to time. I do a lot of uh, speaking, although right now with the coronavirus, I'm not traveling much, but uh, do a lot of writing. And uh, in recent years, I've especially focused in on the questions of evil and suffering and trying to think carefully about what we should say about what God is doing in the world or not doing and uh, if God's in control and those kinds of uh, common questions. And um, I don't know, is that kind of what you were thinking of or shall I go a a little more detail in one direction or another? Well, Well, so much of your...
2: Yes, no, that, that, particularly as it pertains to, you know, I think in general, we, when we talk about sort of open theism, which of mm. course is a big part of that conversation, right? I mean, which mm. I know that's a whole can of worms, but frame this at a high level and we'll go deep here, but yeah. um, in, in that context.
1: Great. Well, actually, I think since we last talked, I have added a new title to myself. I am the director for the Center for Open and Relational Theology. All right. That center uh obviously is about open and relational thought. And to uh describe what that is to your listeners who may have never heard those words before, the idea of relational as applied to God suggests that God is not only creating and loving and influencing the world, but we can actually influence God. God is affected by what we do. I think. Most Christians, when they hear that, they go, duh, of course, that's what God is like. My prayers affect God. God's happy or sad, depending on how I do, etc. And they're surprised to discover that the majority of Christian theologians in history, and some today, but especially in, in yesteryear, have denied that God is affected at all by what we do. In fact, some famous uh, theologians like Anselm said, You know, I know we're supposed to think you're compassionate, God, because that's what the Bible says. But we really know you're you're only compassionate from our perspective. In reality, you're not. So the Mm. relational part of open relational theology emphasizes God in giving and receiving relationships with not only humans, but uh, all creatures in the world. The open side of that phrase refers to God's relation to time and the future. Although the scriptures don't say this, lots of theologians have thought that God is outside of time, that God created time, that God is essentially timeless. Um, But if you read scripture and see how God is engaging and sometimes changing plans and sometimes making promises and other times making covenants, it sounds an awful lot like God is experiencing time sequentially, moment by moment, like you and I do. Hmm. And open theists think that's the best way to think about God. And what that then entails is that the future is open, not only for us, but also for God. That is, God doesn't foreknow exhaustively. In other words, God doesn't know with absolute certainty everything that's going to happen in our future. God can know some things because God intends to do those. And God can make some good guesses, et cetera, but God can't know with absolute certainty what's going to happen in the future. And that's important not only because it makes sense if God is experiencing time, like we are, God is in time, but also it helps us to make sense of free will. That is, you know, can we really say we're free if the future is already known and decided by God? Mm -hmm. So it's in that context of open relational theology that I've tried to work out what it means to talk about God's love and power in the world.
0: Excellent, yeah, Tom. I uh, I thought immediately uh, of you. You know, our last episode with you was on God can't. And again, I'm going to give our, our listeners the uh, the subtitle of that book, because they haven't read it yet. They absolutely need to, especially right now. It's a uh, God can't: How to Believe in God and Love After Tragedy. Abuse and other evils, um, and uh, you just gave us a great sort of summary of open theism, open and relational frameworks of God. So, what I'm hoping to kind of do with this conversation is basically use this this scenario as a. I mean, we can just use it as, as as a case study for
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. w- how your framework can help people think about what's going on. And 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 it came to my mind specifically because um, I'd say probably about a week ago I was. Uh, fishing on the internet and um, reading on a uh, on a well known um, uh, I don't know if you call it neo Calvinist or uh, I, I have a hard time just distinguishing all the different labels, but definitely you know very performed um, mainstream uh, pastor who writes a lot, speaks a lot, does all kinds of books and blogs, and um, never uh, seems to have any qualms of sharing an opinion. And um, the uh, the the article was on. God and COVID nineteen, and the argument essentially went like this: um, you know, where where is God in COVID nineteen? And You try to lay out a few, um, a, a few kind of kind of certainties. One, we know that God is sovereign, and that kind of grounds the the whole conversation, uh, at least in the blog from that point on. God is sovereign. Um, he and what that means is he has absolute power to do whatever he wants, whenever, however, with whomever, and for whatever reason he deems appropriate. And then uh, he has to know, well, what about the Bible? What do we see in the Bible? Well, uh, God does care for our suffering, but sometimes suffering is also a judgment. And he, he was, to, to his credit, he was careful not to say that this is specifically a, a, a judgment of some sort. Um, but uh, you know, sometimes God uses suffering and trials and death uh, as a as a as a punishment, and, and also kind of put all that in sort of a covenantal context, right? Because death is the the wages of sin, and we've all sinned and and whatnot. So, uh, and then he ended up with a few different sc- uh, scriptural thoughts, and he hammered this one point, and it really kind of made my stomach just turn a little bit as I read it, because he says, um, you know, he uses the example of Jesus uh, walk. He, he's he's asleep on the boat. And they're out on the lake, or yeah, I think it's a lake. And um, a storm comes in, disciples are freaking out, the boat's getting, uh, you know, tossed around, Jesus is still sleeping. They wake him up, they're like, Rabbi, don't you care about us? Come on, get up. And he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And uh, there's there's a calm, a calm comes. And the disciples and everyone there is amazed because even the wind and the waves obey him so he hammers this point. He says, you know, in the in the plagues, God could have stopped them, but he did not in the story of Jesus uh, on the water. God could have stopped them, but he didn't. Um, and so he 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 wants his readers to know, like, this is this is here because God wants it to be here. And at that point I was like, okay, I, this is, this is, this is the total opposite of, of, (laughs) you know, what we, what we talked about with you before. And so I thought, man, I've got to get, I've got to get this guy on here. So, um, your book, God can't, um, you lay out five kind of pillars. So, uh, would it be helpful to, I mean, do you want to just, why don't we just kind of sort of start with each of those and yeah. we'll kind of weave in how, how you see that fitting into the COVID-19 crisis. I, I'm assuming that our listeners by now are familiar with what's happening with COVID-19. Uh, if you're not, it's a coronavirus. Uh, it It's, it's, it's a pandemic um, where I am by most measures, it depends on who you ask. Everything is changing so fast, but we are somewhere around four to six weeks to like, totally overwhelming our healthcare system. And, uh, there's somewhat of a panic right now. So we're trying to figure out, um, I, I work in healthcare. So, you know, our, our health system is trying to brace for it and, um, you know, securing ventilators and all this stuff, but we've already got 50,000 cases, uh, in our country. Uh, we've got 500 deaths depend on how depending on how you, you know, which models you look at, we are possibly looking at certainly, uh, you know, Hundreds of thousands of dead deaths, uh, but potentially millions by the time this is all done. It all just depends on how things shake out and which models you read. So I mean a pretty serious and significant situation. So in light of that, um, let's start off with that with your first your first pillar. I think yeah. it's uh,
1: the first one is probably the most controversial one, although the other pillars or parts of my answer kind of play with that. It says that God simply can't single-handedly prevent evil. Uh, Most people, when they use the word sovereign, probably the person you mentioned earlier, when he uses the word sovereign, he has in mind something like God can single-handedly do whatever God wants to do. God could all alone, or to use the language Mm -hmm. of philosophy, act as a sufficient cause and get something done. Um, I'm rejecting that. I'm saying, no. It's not even possible for God to do that. Some people are okay and comfortable with saying things like God won't always prevent evil, but I don't think that's nearly strong enough. In fact, the letters I get from readers of God can't time and time again say they're so thankful to get beyond the God won't idea because the God won't idea sounds like God could have stopped Mm -hmm. the horrors that happened to them, but God chose not to. But the important point of this uh, God can't stop evil single-handedly, well, there's many important points, but let me emphasize one, the idea of single-handedly. It's not that God is, you know, sitting on the sidelines, watching us from a distance, eating popcorn while the virus racks and ruins the, you know, the world. It's that God is actively involved in every place in the entire universe from the most complex to the least complex entities, but God's activity is never controlling. God always seeks cooperation, uh, tandem work, collaboration. God works with the conditions of creation as they are. And so God is not controlling.
0: So what do you say that when people hear that, I mean, I, I, I've shared this idea with many people because I, I think it's profound, and I'm, you know, I, I'm not convinced that that confidence in matters of theology is is a virtue. So I, yeah. I kind of hold it loosely. Yeah. Um. But uh, to me, it to, this does this framework that we're talking about here. Uh, it's kind of like when you're working a Rubik's cube and you sort of you all of a sudden find, oh, wait a minute! If I just went and twisted it here. All of a sudden, you know, the rest of it can fall into place.
1: Oh, that's for me, a beautiful that's, analogy. Yeah, that's great.
0: That that's kind of what this what this does for me uh, theologically. But oftentimes, the immediate response I get is is one of like, well, but how could I, like, what safety or security or comfort can there possibly be mm-hmm. if there isn't a God who can just come in here and fix things? Like, at least right. at, at least if we know that He can and he's not, then there must be some greater purpose all this is working out towards. Yeah. So how do you, how do you respond to those folks?
1: Well, I understand that worry. You know, I understand people wanting to be protected, um, wanting safety. I mean, that's very natural. But uh, I like to say to people who say that, uh, how's that working out for you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe your life's been pretty nice and had no problems. But, you know, tell a rape victim, you know, hey, God can protect Mm. you, but just decided not to talk talk to the person who's being tortured by their parents. You know, God could save you, but God's not doing that. Or to take the virus, talk to the people who are racked now and have died, or I guess we can't talk to them now that they're dead, but can't talk to people who are dying because of the uh, effects of the virus and say, you know, if God can protect and keep you safe, what's the deal? is god mad at you is god punishing you has god abandoned you i mean all those kinds of typical answers the ones that you mentioned earlier from this uh, other theologian you were reading those don't make sense to me if i start with the assumption god is a god of love who wants the well-being of all who cares about everyone never abandons anyone if we start from that assumption then this idea that God can control and protect us through control doesn't make a lot of sense. Now I do think God is calling upon each other and all of creation to act in ways that protect ourselves and others. So there's that kind of protection, but that's a collaboration, a cooperation kind of protection, not a single handed forcing kind of protection.
0: Mm -hmm. It, in, in, in many places in the Bible, though, it does, it does seem I mean, that God has, or perhaps the, the, the authors of, of the scriptures believe that he had this type of, of power. I mean, I think of the, the, the plagues against Egypt, uh, there's that story where, um, God sends a, like a plague on his own people, uh, and is in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And then Moses has to like hold up the snake. And anyone who looks at the snake can be healed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you read towards the end, the judges, there's all these battle accounts and, and, and prior to each battle, there's kind of like this huddle and they go, okay, God, like, should we go do this? Are you going to be with us or not? And he was like, yes, go. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And then,
0: you know, they go and you see the same kind of thing in Samuel. Um, we mentioned the healings of Jesus and, and, uh, the wind and the waves obeying him, you know, what how do you, um, what framework of, of, uh, of the, the inspiration and, and sort of the authority of scripture is required to, for you to kind of ground the, this idea that, that, that God is, that love is the primary aspect of God.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that's a fantastic question and I want to wade through several issues to answer it because it's a really important one and it gets complex.
0: But let's, let's get wading, man. I'm excited. <laughs>
1: let me start by saying i affirm the inspiration of scripture and the authority of scripture so this is not me just chucking out the bible and going with some theory that sounds pretty cool i think the theory that i have offered is supported by the majority of scripture that is the preponderance of the biblical text as i read it points to a god of perfect love who forgives who's not the author of sin and evil who wants to uh, provide well-being, or the biblical language would be salvation or abundant life or blessing to all creation, not just the righteous, but everyone. God sends the rain and the sun on both, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a broad support for my view. However, I do think there are some passages that don't portray God as perfectly loving. I mean, I read the Bible. I know some of the stories there. And some of the stories depict God acting in ways that do not seem to me to be loving. So what do I do? I mean, one theory, one approach could be I could take a pair of scissors and cut out all the passages in the Bible that I don't think portray God as loving. That's what Thomas Jefferson did. Um, I don't do that because I make the claim that if the majority of scripture paints a particular view of God, we should use the majority opinion to critique the minority. Um, The alternative would be a God who's got split split personality disorder. You know, on Tuesdays, he's going to kick your butt, but the rest of the week, he's pretty nice. Uh, And that doesn't seem to me to be a God of steadfast love, a consistently loving God. Now, more specifically on the examples you pointed to, um, I like to distinguish between two important issues. One is the question of whether or not those passages explicitly say God alone brought about whatever it was, calming the wind and the waves, the plagues, whatever. Does the passage explicitly say God did it and there was no creaturely contribution or the conditions of creation were not conducive for this kind of activity? I can't find a single verse in the entire Bible from the creation of the world to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, to the resurrection of Jesus, to the eschatological fulfillment that explicitly says God alone brought about whatever the events were. Now, there are lots of passages that only mention God. They don't explicitly say, you know, uh, I don't know, the the frogs participated with God's plague or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But in those passages, uh, does it explicitly say God does that? Um, And if not, can we imagine, given a broader framework, what philosophers call a metaphysics, can we imagine a theory that could account for them That includes God working with the created order? I think we can. And what we can do is, when only God is mentioned, uh, take into account the kind of language we use for all kinds of other things in our lives, in which we only mention one person or one actor or one agent. Let me give you an example of one of those. Uh, A couple months ago, I guess this is March, last month, last month, the headline says, Patrick Mahomes wins a Super Bowl. Now, if you don't understand football, you might think Patrick Mahomes alone did it. But in reality, no. Lots of folks participated in the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. But that, that title, that uh, that headline is correct. Mahomes did win. What if we take that same analogy or same tactic and use that with scripture when it says God did X Assume that there were other actors and agents that also were at play. Now you might say, "Well, that's kind of special be- pleading." You know, um, you're kind of just forcing your theory into the Bible. But I don't think that's quite the case because there's lots of examples in which in Scripture explicitly creaturely actors are mentioned, and there's sometimes in which only creatures are mentioned, and creatures are doing good, even miracles. So, for example, in the book of Acts, Peter goes through and does all these miracles, and God is not mentioned at all. But what you and I do when we read that passage is we say, well, yeah, God isn't mentioned there, but we know God's also involved in miracles. Well, why can't we be fair and take that same kind of tactic and apply it to the passages that only mention God? That's my proposal. So, okay. Yeah, let me stop there. Get well, I was going to ask. I don't want to.
2: you know, I don't think we need to go. You know, anecdote by anecdote, or yeah, you know, through <laughs> all the scriptures, right? But, yeah. but at the same time, I was curious because you know I don't remember if we did discuss sort of the healing work of of Jesus's ministry in particular yeah. last last time. Obviously, a huge piece of <clears throat> his ministry and and of of the gospel accounts. And I think about so. I guess what, to follow the same logic, or, or is or is your general posture that in these cases you know if these miracles in fact existed i'm not talking as much around you know distributing loaves and fishes as you know the woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years and yeah. touches jesus and is healed right i um or, or many other or, or lazarus for that example right yeah. or, or or for example how do you sort of approach those the same way in terms of jesus's healing work
1: Yeah, I do. And in fact, since beginning to think in this direction, I've noticed all kinds of things in the New Testament that I didn't see before that support this view. So for instance, you know, Jesus goes to his hometown and the Bible says he can't do miracles there because they lack cooperative faith. Well, can't, I mean, that's pretty strong. Or, uh, take the example of, uh, the guy who Jesus spits in the mud and puts it up to his eyes and the first go, it doesn't really work well. And he only sees people walking around like trees. Well, if, if miracles could happen single-handedly, then, you know, what happened is Jesus power source sort of going half, you know, half, halfway or, or other passages in which it talks, the Mark talks about Jesus going into some town and healing many. Now in the past, I I read many and I just assumed that meant all, but now I think, Oh, maybe many really means many and not all. So I'm starting Mm -hmm. to see more and more things. And of course, Jesus oftentimes talks about the faith of those who are healed. Um, So in the case Mm -hmm. of the woman with the bleeding or the, you know, he oftentimes says your faith has made you whole. So those are indications that there's some kind of cooperative measures involved in those healings. I should Man, that's, let me, that's let me that's throw right. one ahead, more Tom, thing please. in here. That's yeah, really please. wild. This is going Go blow it. the minds Go of your it. of your listeners for a second. Um, I think we all selectively read the Bible and think some language is metaphorical or maybe anthropomorphic. That is, is placing human kind of categories on other things, and other language is straightforward. But it's interesting that you used the phrase of Jesus in the boat or the story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples. And you correctly said that the scripture says, even the winds and waves obey. Hmm. Now, think about that a second. Do you think wind and waves has a capacity to obey? Most people don't. Most people think the world is like a machine. And maybe humans and other creatures, they have free will and they can obey and disobey. But they think that the cars they drive, they don't really obey. Or, um, but Jesus is using obedience language to talk about inanimate objects. What is going on there? I'll bet your friend who was reading that read that word obey and just assumed that it was a divine sovereign action, that there was no yeah. creaturely capacity for disobedience.
0: It's an executive order and they're like, yes, sir. Yes.
1: But let me tell you, when I tell my my kids are out of the house now, but when they were in high school and I wanted them to obey me by meeting their curfew, they did not always obey. (laughs) So obey assumes the capacity to disobey. Um, Mm. Maybe we can can think about even the natural world as having maybe not free will, but some kind of responsiveness to God and that then shapes us, even thinking about nature miracles, shapes the way we think about them in more responsive kind of ways.
0: Mm. So there's some, um, okay, the, to throw out a term, it's probably not fair, but I'll have to have you kind of explain what it is. Panpsychism. Yes. Um Can you, I mean, is that what you're describing and can you, can you kind of explain that term a lot better than I can? (laughs) Yeah,
1: that is kind of what I'm describing. I don't particularly like that term, but that's what most philosophers would use. Um, So a lot of folks think that the world is divided into two kinds of things. Some things have the capacity for responsiveness, maybe even intelligence. And we put humans, maybe our dogs and dolphins, maybe rabbits, maybe mice Maybe we might go even further down, but then people want to put other things in existence in a category of non-responsiveness, and they'll put dirt, water, metal, etc. Panpsychism suggests that perhaps we should think that all of reality has some capacity of responsiveness. It's similar to what many physicists talk about the energy that throbs at the heart of reality. Now, there's lots of ways to cast that out, and I've done that in various writings and things, but um, that's the basic idea, that we shouldn't divide the world into things that have capacity to respond and things that don't. We should say that the world has is comprised of everything with the capacity to respond, but the way those things are organized might make them more or less responsive.
0: Hmm. That's great. helpful. Yeah, that's I, helpful. I think is, uh, you know, w- 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 when when the world is just a kind of a collection of little bitty things crashing into one another. Yeah, uh, you know, very l- l- sort of physical bits. Um, I think often God is kind of thought of as like the one who controls all those little bits. Yes, but then if the world at its heart, and this is what's kind of interesting with, with what we're learning about with physics and whatnot, if the world is somehow and 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 it's like the core of its reality a relation a, a some if it's some kind of a, a, a of a relationship and if that's really what's at the core of everything um this starts to make a lot more sense
1: yeah and think about for sure. if, if we change the metaphor instead of thinking of the world and its inhabitants like machines without any interiority and we think of the world and its inhabitants more like organisms that do have interiority then we can really take seriously tons of biblical language about Christ being Mm -hmm. in you, about you responding, having the mind of Christ. Uh, There's all kinds of synergistic kind of possibilities that emerge that fit so well with the broad biblical witness.
0: God, that's great. So God can't prevent COVID-19 because he is inherent, his, lo, love is not just his, like, well, he's, I guess you'd say love is his supreme aspect, but maybe more appropriately, love is sort of what he really is. He's an, he's essentially a, a, a others empowering love.
1: Yeah. I like in, in his God nature. is, I, I'm comfortable saying God is a personal being who loves perfectly. Um, but you know, I know that's contentious in some circles. I think most Christians don't have a problem with it, but yeah, I think God's a personal being whose nature is first and foremost love, so God always loves, no matter what.
0: And and because of that, he can't control, he can't have the kind of control that would be required to just unilaterally step in and squash COVID-19. Is that, exactly. That's what you're saying? That's
1: the idea. It gets kind of wild, and some people get thrown. and In the last week or so, I've had people send me notes saying, Okay, now you're saying God loves everyone and everything. God loves me and the virus. So if God loves us both, why doesn't God choose to destroy the virus so God can save me? And that's a really great question if you assume that God has the capacity to control a virus, to you know destroy it or annihilate it. But I'm beginning with the assumption that God's love is inherently uncontrolling and God gives the reality of existence to all things that exist, including the virus. It's also been helpful, I think, uh, for in my own study the last week, because I've been reading up on viruses, <laughs> trying to figure out mm-hmm. what these little things are. Um, They're weird, man. Yeah, they are. One article I read said uh, the author of the expertise of I I can't even remember the technical word, virologist or something. Anyway, he estimated that less than 1% of viruses in the world are pathogens. That's that is, less than 1% are harmful. The vast majority of viruses in our world are important for not only genetic diversity and diversity of species, et cetera, but they're important to keep things continuing in positive ways. We tend to think of viruses negative. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think that's important to remember. We can say that viruses are doing things that are harmful without having to say viruses are in themselves inherently evil. Because we do the same things with people, right? I mean, we say he, he, uh, I don't know, he lied. And we can say he's a good person who chose to lie opposed to he's inherently evil. Uh, We can Mm -hmm. do the same thing with cells and viruses and other things. We can say they're acting or their behavior is being destructive. We want to oppose them. And that's a loving thing. God is acting to oppose them, but God can't single-handedly stop what they're doing because it's God's very nature to love everyone and everything and call for the healing of all things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes now, sense. Now I I know we've been on this we've been on this this uh thesis for a while. This okay. you know, God can't prevent evil. I mean I, I think I think it's appropriate because this is like this is I think one of the biggest yeah one of the one one of the biggest ones. So I I mean if we can just spend another minute or two here, I would I'd, I'd love to, to see what you think about this. I, I read something recently uh, and i had never thought about uh, God's power in this way. But you, you remember, uh, Andrew, and I love your thoughts on this too. Think back to Jesus uh, when he's telling his disciples, I think this is shortly after they have, uh, you know, asked for, like to be at his right hand and his left. And he's like, look, guys, the Gentiles, the rulers of the of, of the Gentiles, they they do things one way. What do, you know, they, they, they lord it over them, but it shouldn't be that way with you. Mm. Instead, the greatest among you should be the least, or uh, maybe it's the greatest among you should be the servant of all, um, I can't promise that that quote is exactly right, mm-hmm. but what right. what what it uh, th- th- was actually this uh, it was Arthur McGill the um that was the writer that I was reading that, that pointed this out. He says that what's fascinating here is this power that Jesus is describing. He is he is denouncing this type of top-down authority and hierarchy, mm-hmm. and saying that this is how it's done among the Gentiles. And yet, for many Christians, right. we assume that God has Gentile power. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So r- r- rather than God, rather than like, it, it, it's like Gentile power is, uh, is re- uh, refuted all the way up until it gets to God. And then it's like, okay, but now it's good as long as he has it. I mean, I, I think of the example of like a, like a Pharaoh, like we, the problem isn't, you know isn't, I think as Christians, um, we do, sometimes we think of God as just another Pharaoh. He just, a, he's just a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, but in that case, the power is all predicated on the ability to destroy. So God, God is, God has power. And what gives him power is the fact that if he really, 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 really wanted to, he could step in here and squash everything, but thank goodness he doesn't. <laughs> um, so what do you, uh, what do you think, how does, how does that, uh, that kind of separation and, uh, uh, of, of, of power? Uh, tie into sort of your, your framework and thinking about what it means for God to be powerful, especially in the context of this virus.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when some people hear me say God can't prevent the virus single handedly, they think, Oh, so your God can't do anything. Um, and I like to say, I think God is almighty to use the biblical language. Um, and God is almighty in three senses that, uh, are senses that make sense in the light of uncontrolling love. So the first sense is that God is influencing all creation. God is almighty in the sense of exerting might upon all others. Now, that might is an uncontrolling kind of influence, but no other creature has the capacity to do that. So God is uniquely almighty in that sense. Secondly, I think God is the source of might for all creation, to Put it another way, God makes our existence possible and our, empowers us. No other being or creature or factor or force can do that. God alone is almighty in that sense. And then third, because God is omnipresent and influencing and is the source of all creation, God is the mightiest of all. God has no rivals, to use the Old Testament language. But God mm-hmm. can be almighty in all three of those senses. And not be controlling. In other words, uncontrolling love can be the strongest force in the entire universe and yet be unable to control the coronavirus because that God is giving existence to all things, including the virus, calling, persuading the virus and all others, including us, to combat its evil effects. And God's power is what sustains our actions. And makes possible overcoming evil with good.
2: That's so great, Stephen. I love the question, and I don't really have anything to add to that specific question. I think it makes total sense. We superimpose the same framework that it seems Jesus is rejecting at the same time, or you know, the lording over at the same time. It makes sense if you think God is, you know, and you know, inherently and only good and righteous, and sort of the typical sort of his ways or not our ways you know i you sort of hand over that authority um but i think the whole point and this is sort of what i just want to bring to mind again is the whole point is just how deeply problematic you know, that is i mean i think and i want to just highlight that i think this model tom your model that you're highlighting um is at first glance can be interpreted and heard as, well, well, so God's not in control.
1: Right. Right.
2: And at first blush, that's terrifying. Yep. Because you've been told, God is in control. God is in control. But, well let's talk about maybe we could transition to so what is God's nature like what, 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 if he's not in control or if he is, what does it look like? We can get there. But to start, it also means like God is not on the hook for this.
1: right? <laughs> you know? right. Like, and I think yeah.
2: like we have like, Steve and I have multiple relationships with individuals with, um, very significant and, you know, potentially fatal and terminal illnesses and not related to COVID. And, a conversation came up which was Stephen and I just privately around you know like one does want if God can intervene but doesn't we know that that's a there's there's something problematic about that mm-hmm. is he inherently good and loving if he if he doesn't show up for some of his kids and does for the other and then the other thing that came up with Stephen and I's conversation was is it almost worse if he does? come through <laughs> for someone. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. It, I think it totally is.
2: Like, I think it totally is. If he does come through for me, but doesn't come through for the thousands or hundreds of thousands of others that have the same disease or plight or what have you. If, if he right. heals me, but doesn't heal everyone else. It, like, is that a win? Yeah. Like, is that is or is that actually more problematic? And so... I guess I'm rehashing the whole you know maybe the whole point here, which is you know if God's not on the hook for this um but is doing something right is co-suffering is it loving with through this process and let's go here next um I think it actually can be a breath of peace and sort of yeah. fresh air and partnership with the Holy Spirit and with with God versus this really intense angst through this season. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a nice transition into the second and third points from the book. So uh, shall I just go with that?
2: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, let's just hit them both. So the second
1: one is the idea that I mentioned earlier about saying God is relational, except here I'm emphasizing the idea that God really suffers with us. God really feels our pain uh, and our joys, but God feels our pain. And that's really important. Um, I won't spend a ton of time on that one because I think that one's fairly self-evident. It's the third one that uh, you are bringing up in terms of like healings. Uh, what do you do when some people aren't healed and then others are? How do you how do you make sense of all that? And uh, my proposal on this chapter is that God really does want to heal, and not just does God is actively working to heal everyone all the time. So this is not a God who's picking and choosing and, you know, deciding some need to get better because it's a part of this master plan and others have to die or suffer or whatever. But God is Mm -hmm. working to heal at every level of existence. But because God can't control, God can't heal single-handedly. That means that there has to be cooperation in some sense. That might be cooperation at the cellular level or the organs or muscles. It might be cooperation consciously or societally. And oftentimes I find people are cooperating with God consciously or cognitively. They're they're praying and they're saying, Yes, God, I want to be healed. I, I, I believe you're a healing God and I'm cooperating. But their organs, their cells, their whatever parts of their body or If it's a societal thing, the societal factors aren't cooperating or they're not conducive to the kind of healing God wants to do. And the advantage of this approach is that when people are healed, we can praise God for being the source of that healing while also saying, you know, there are other factors involved, be they traditional medicine or, you know, some amount of luck or random mutation or some kind of cooperation in some sense. And when they're not healed, mm-hmm. we don't have to say, "Well, God could have healed them, but chose not to," or "God's punishing them," or "God's away on other business," or whatever. We can say, "Look, the conditions of creation were not conducive, or there wasn't kind the kind of cooperation uh, present for that kind of healing." Hmm. I've I've been thinking a lot about prayer, actually, in light of this. You mind if I talk a bit about? Yeah, prophecies? please. Do that. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: Because some people ask me, well, look, if your God can't control, then why the heck do I even pray to this God? And um, I understand that question until I start to push them on what they think the God that they currently think is doing when it comes to prayer. Because uh, Mm -hmm. most people I know think that God could single-handedly fix things, could single-handedly heal the person suffering from the effects of the coronavirus, And God maybe does sometimes, but doesn't do it other times. And they think that God could do it even if we didn't pray. That, you know, God doesn't have to wait around for us to ask. God can just up and do it. Well, if that's the case, then what's the real motivation to pray? I mean, if God's a God of love and God can single-handedly fix anybody God wants to fix, heal anyone with the virus then our prayers don't really need to make any difference. I mean, unless you think God is sort of sitting on the sidelines, arm folded, saying, you know, you got to pray and beg and plead and ask me 87 times before I'm going to step in here. Mm-hmm. But that's not a picture of a loving God. So the traditional view of God really doesn't make a lot of sense when it comes to petitionary prayer. The, the proposal I have on the table says this. This God is relational, what we do affects God, including our prayers. And we live in a relational world that's affected by what we do, including our prayers. And so the combination of my praying having an effect upon the world and having an effect upon God means that there are new options, opportunities, or avenues for God to work in the world. That may not have been available had I not acted and made a difference. So, in my in my way of thinking, prayer actually can affect what's going on, although it never makes it the case that God can you know single handedly fix things. It has a real influence on what's happening.
0: Hmm, yeah, I, I've I've found myself feeling very uncomfortable, frankly. Like you know, in prayers, you know, like, like think about the virus. So like. Yeah. This, when, when you really sit and you think about pleading with God to take away the virus that in our country is likely to kill you know thousands thousands and thousands uh, if not millions um, and, and specifically uh, the most vulnerable right the right. elderly uh the disenfranchised people I mean like think about people who are home people who are experiencing homelessness um you know the people who are marginalized. The people who, when I read the gospel, it seems like Jesus would be most concerned about. Right, <laughs> um, and yet, you know, uh, to it, 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 it feels odd to sort of to to engage in prayer as though like, you know, we we have to either remind him or God, please, like, you know, please just take it away. I, yeah, I, I, I can't. I mean, it, it starts to feel. Uh, I guess to me that, that like when I'm talking about the Rubik's cube turning, like that's that, this is one area where where it happens because inevitably to me, uh, you know, whether it's you're you're praying for the cancer to go away, you're praying for, you know, um, this virus to go away, war to end, whatever. I mean, if God, if God really is good and loving, of course He wants those things, right? And 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 I, and I just can't I can't imagine, you know, it, it, it's it's not a matter of not knowing the math. It's 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 more like there's not, there is no, there, there, there is no math that could ever make this right. And so what, what we really want and what I think God really, really uh, does do, I mean, is, is he works with us, but then because he's got this trajectory, he's setting things in motion, he's working for all things, all the time, constantly uh, trying to, um, you know, bring them uh, to himself, that, that, there, there is a guarantee that there's a day where things, things get named what they really are, right? Like things. Mm. There, there is a, there is a time and a day where where it gets revealed. Like this is not, this is not in line with who I am. Mm. Um, but that's not in the context of an executive order. You know, right. you know <laughs> stamping it out. It's, it's. You know, we, I guess uh, I think your book you mentioned that you know sometimes healing has to wait
1: that's right yeah. yeah I think that's pretty obvious when we think about it I mean people die all the time uh, if God's in the business of healing people then um, I mean I believe in an afterlife I think that things can be better in the afterlife and that's where some healing has to occur I had an idea while you were talking since this is the laity podcast since we're talking about prayer mm-hmm. what if I kind of talk through what I would do if I was called into the room of someone who is suffering with the coronavirus and asked to pray for them what I would say how about if I oh, give that a shot and it maybe having that as an illustration would sort of help people see the theological framework I'm working with and how I think prayer actually can make a difference even though it doesn't somehow you know make god able to control things yeah so um you know assuming i've got i'm prepared to have this encounter i've got my mask on or whatever it is All i'm right, supposed you get your PPE. to have yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first i usually take think of this in terms of four steps of my prayer my first step in the prayer is i try to acknowledge what seems to be the case and in this situation it would be acknowledging the suffering and pain And we'll call the person that I'm talking to, uh, Stephanie. I'll say, um, you know, let's pray together, Stephanie. And the first thing I would do is say, God, you know that Stephanie is dealing with some rotten situation right now. And I might start naming some of the symptoms she's got. Now, when I'm doing that, notice I'm stepping back, doing some uh, commentary, color commentary (laughs) on my prayer. When I'm doing that, God already knows what's going on with Stephanie, so I'm not telling God anything new, but me saying it out loud is an action that has effects upon God and on the world, and in this case upon Stephanie. And sometimes part of the healing process is acknowledging, being truthful and honest about the real pain in front of us. And sometimes, because of the psychosomatic uh, unity of the person, that kind of expression of empathy can have a, make a real difference in the person. They can say in, in their minds, they're thinking, ah, this person understands who I am, and maybe God does too. So this can play a role, perhaps, in the healing that might occur. So then my second step, I'll say something like this. Um, God, we believe you're a God of healing, the great physician. We believe you want to heal Stephanie. Now, again, I'm not, this is me stepping back doing commentary now again. I'm not telling God anything new. If this is the case, that God's a healing God. I'm not, you know, informing something God of something God didn't already have figured out. But... I'm placing in the mind of Stephanie information that maybe she doesn't know, or if she does, it's a reassurance that God cares about, that God does work, that she gets better. And again, that's more data that God can work with in working in this situation. So third step, I say something like this. God, we also recognize that you're facing forces, factors, actors, agents, some opposition in your work to heal now in doing that saying that kind of a phrase i'm reminding stephanie of of what i think god is like a god of love who can't control so i'm naming some of the opposition and i'm not setting stephanie up for believing in a god who could just up and single-handedly fix her as if god is just controlling everything i'm naming Mm -hmm. opposing forces to god's healing work and that's important for me because so many prayers I've heard kind of give people the impression that God is either causing their, their suffering or God could just single-handedly do it, but it's not doing it. Yeah. And then the third, I mean, the fourth and final phrase of uh, sort of phase of my prayer is to talk about our cooperation. So I'll say things like, God, stephanie and I, we want to cooperate with you in your healing power. We want to cooperate with others who are joining with you in this healing. And that means the physicians, the nurses, the medical people. It means getting good sleep and eating, it, you know, all, all kinds of things I might name depending on the situation. And then those four steps, I think I'm having an effect upon God. I'm having an effect upon Stephanie and there's new opportunities and new data, new facts, new actions God can use in the work that God's already doing. I
0: love that. That's great. thank you, Thomas. That's great.
1: That's great. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: So, um, we we've done the. Uh, we talked about how God can't prevent evil. God feels our pain and God works to heal. Um, the last two. You know, we we, we might be able to do something kind of similar here where we sort of put them together. Okay. Where God, uh, it's God squeezes good from bad and he needs our cooperation.
1: Yeah.
0: Walk us through that uh, in light of this whole COVID-19 thing.
1: Those do fit together really nicely because um, the idea that God can squeeze something good from the bad that God didn't want in the first place is a way of acknowledging that sometimes good things come from bad circumstances. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but oftentimes when I hear people who are Christians who talk about evils that have occurred, they'll sometimes justify them by saying, well, it was a bad thing, but it was a part of God's good plan because this good thing happened or that great thing happened, or I had this new opportunity or whatever. And I want to acknowledge that good things can come from evil events without saying God caused or even allowed those evil events in the first place. So my little phrase of saying God can squeeze something good from the bad God didn't want is a way of acknowledging that. And what that does is it says that we as individuals and as, cre- as creatures in creation, we have a role to play in God's work to squeeze something good from it. And the final and fifth point then, in the book is that god actually needs or requires our cooperation the cooperation of creation in order for love to win and i think right now in the uh, as we think about what we should be doing in relation to the coronavirus those are the kind of things most people are talking about you know uh physical distancing uh washing your hands uh you know all these kinds of things those in my scheme are ways in which we can actually cooperate with God's work in the world to fight against evil.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, one of the things I've, I've been sort of having uh, conversations like this for a while, too, and you, and you often get that, you know, where, where is God in this? And, you know, God, there's a scripture. I think it's like this. There's a scripture. Uh, I think it's one of the Corinthians where Paul says, uh, we are the faithfulness of God. Um, or, you know, we are, we are the righteousness of God. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when you, when you go, it's been a while since I started this up. when you go back and you look at all the pronouns, it definitely seemed as though he's talking about like him and whoever he's writing this, like, like he's, I think it's Timothy with him. It's been a little while since I read that book. (laughs) Um, but he's, he, you, 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 when you, when you look through it, um, he seems to be saying that we, as in me and this person with me, Mm -hmm. we are the faithfulness of God to you. We we in our presence in front of you with you now in this time, we are the evidence that God is faithful to you. That God hasn't abandoned you, that God has not left you. And so I, I, I think that's I think about that a lot in, in situations like this. Like where is God in in, in the virus and the suffering? What about all the these old people who are who are, you know, isolated? I mean, in my state, they're under like uh you know a statewide shelter in place mandate. Really? Um people who are uh over you know i think it's over 65 and have certain um, risk factors so you know they I mean, the isolation is 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 serious so where is god in that well god i think is in us calling them right god god is in us uh letting these people know that they're not forgotten that their lives matter that we want to hear their story that we want to we we want to uh you know preserve their legacy we, we want to be uh that we care about them that that they're not just they were not just sticking these people off somewhere to you know to to be uh quarantined all by themselves forever i mean we want um that to me i think is is a it's a powerful vision of who god is and what he's doing um and it's uh it's 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 challenging i think also to, then to to sort of it is a call to action as well to go and be that faithfulness to somebody
1: yeah I like that a lot I sometimes like to say, you know, when people ask that question, where is God? I like to say, well, God is present to everyone all the time, but God's a universal spirit who we can't see with our, five, with our eyes or perceive with our five senses. So God is present to the elderly, but if the elderly are going to perceive God with their five senses – that means we are going to have to be like God's hands and feet and be with them and helping them. And so there's two senses in which God is there. God is directly there as the omnipresent spirit, but God then Mm -hmm. uses and calls upon us to use our bodies to be there as well.
0: Yeah. Tom, man, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. I could talk to you forever. Uh, 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 The book, God can't, y'all need to get it. How to believe in God and love after tragedy abuse and other evils in the next version i think we'll have covid-19 on the
1: uh, uh actually on the subtitle, right? actually i'm in the midst <laughs> of doing a follow-up book the follow oh okay it's called uh, god can't questions and answers and so some of the things i've been talking about today will be in that book um, excellent and uh, since your listeners are uh, since your audience is uh podcast listeners I'm doing something different with this book. I'm releasing it first as an audiobook, and then secondly in print. So uh, when Ooh, I get that cool. up, I'll try to send you some info on it.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you're doing right now? I know I, I um uh, I got your uh, newsletter recently. I know you're doing some or looking to do some maybe a virtual, you know, church things right now. I mean, you're available for all that kind of stuff. How else can people get a hold of you and, and get more of your stuff?
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, you can find me on my website, but I'm uh, trying to help people during this time with the kinds of stuff we talked about today. And uh, that might mean, um, you know, preaching on virtual worship services or doing conversations like you and I have just done or uh, other kinds of things that um, people have need. Um, and I'm working on other kind of writing projects. I've always got <laughs> irons in the fire. Um, they're just, it seems like there's lots of uh, important things to be done in the name of love. And I want to do my part. Amen.
2: Thanks again, Tom. It's been a great time.
1: I've enjoyed it. Thank you guys.
2: Yeah. Thanks Tom. To our listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in and, uh, stay safe. We'll be in touch. I'm sure.